You're listening to Pastor Don Cherry from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded on January 10th, 2021. For more information about our church, visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or find us on all things social at svbcfamily. This is a good group. I like this. Amen. Amen. I appreciate you all being here. Take your Bibles this morning and uh, let's go to Mark's Gospel, Chapter 1. Mark's Gospel, Chapter 1. So good to have uh, Tim and Suzette with us today. Their daughter's with us. Appreciate them willing to come out. And, you know, you get to see them up here just, you know, singing and having a good time and all that stuff and everything. Of course, I was here when they were having to lug everything in, you know, and put it back out. But, um, I appreciate the effort they uh, made to come and be with us today, and we're going to work out some times when maybe about once a month they'll be able to be with us, you know, and and uh, share the Word of God with us through song and everything. So, uh, uh, amen. Yeah, yeah, we got some gift cards to sheets for you, by the way. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, I mentioned that we're going to begin um, a series. We're going to walk through the book of Mark here over the next several weeks and such, and just look into, you know, how Mark relayed the ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, what we, there are a couple of verses that kind of led me to this, which aren't in the book of Mark, by the way, and everything, but just kind of led to why I wanted to go through this. One is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus said and everything that he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. Christ gave his purpose for coming. And I hope we understand, you know, Jesus did not come to establish a religion. He didn't come to establish a building or property or anything like that or have a statue built for him and everything. He came for the sole purpose of being the Lamb of God, you know, who would take away the sin of the world through his sacrifice and all. And so he came for a specific purpose and all, and he transferred actually that purpose to us as the church through the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples, proclaim the gospel and such. But also, um, I think over there, I think it is Matthew chapter 11 and all, where Jesus said, learn of me. You know, our churches, our Bible colleges and such like that, you know, we're all about, you know, teaching about Jesus, okay? We know about Jesus. We know his, you know, statistics, logistics, however you want to put it. But Jesus, you know, thing, never said learn about me. He said learn of me. Learn of me. And not only that, but he said, you know what, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to show you, not by sitting down in a class and going through a notebook and all, but by my life, by my life. Because he said that I've not come to be served, but I've come to serve. Christ came as a servant, and he showed us that servant life in the three years that he was on this earth, and he did so as an object lesson. He did so as lessons to you and I to, to, to continue what he has taught us and to realize that the Christian life, folks, is all about serving. Now, I know in some ways I am t- uh, speaking to the choir. I get all that. But, you know, it does us good to get back and to see some things, be reminded of some things, because we live in times today when, you know what, in all reality, we don't know what it's going to be one week to the next, do we? And all things could change, diametrically change. But one thing that hasn't changed is the Word of God, nor has the purpose of God changed. And that is what He has commissioned you and I to do. 
So we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. Let me give you a little background here as we go through this. Uh, written by, obviously, John Mark, who is the nephew of uh, Barnabas. Now, he was not one of the twelve. Mark was not one of the twelve, unlike Matthew and John were. All right, he was not one of the twelve and everything, but he did accompany Paul on a couple of his missionary journeys, and he learned. He learned from probably Paul and others and everything about you know the uh, the ministry of Jesus Christ and such. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he put that down. And so Mark presents Christ, if I could put it this way, as Christ on the move. Okay, again. We don't ever see Christ throughout any of the Gospels, but we certainly don't see him, you know, setting up shop and saying, okay, I'm open, everybody come here. Now, there were those teaching times, okay? There was the Sermon on the Mount and all. There was the Olivet Discourse. There were those times that Jesus taught, but the bulk of Jesus' teaching was through example, was through serving, okay? And again, that's what he is communicating here to us. So we're going to look, let's look at the first uh, uh, first eight verses. We'll just kind of work down through that. First of all, we're going to see the ministry of John the Baptist, okay? The one who came as the forerunner, the one who came to prepare the way of the Lord. So let's begin in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, okay? So now we see who this is about. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, which shall prepare your way before him. Now, what are we seeing here? Who's the messenger and by the prophets? That's reference to John the Baptist. Go back to the book of Malachi. And it tells you 400 years before Jesus came on the scene that there is going to be one that's going to come with the message, prepare the way of the Lord. All right? And that's in reference to John the Baptist. The voice of one crying, verse 3, in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. I want us to understand some things here. And uh, again, I don't ever want to be derogatory and everything when it comes to other you know, denominations or brethren or something. We have to go by the Word of God and everything. But it, I, I guess in a way you could take that verse and we think, well, I've got to be baptized to be saved. And that's not what the verse is alluding to, because if you notice, that baptism is of repentance. And what is the message that John said? Repent and be baptized. Matter of fact, Jesus even said, repent and be baptized. It's the repentance where our salvation comes in, the confession of our sin, the turning from our sin, the acknowledging of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then to give evidence of that is the baptism, okay? The water baptism that we do. And so... We understand that what John is uh, preaching here is repentance first and then baptism. And he went there into all uh, unto him, all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. All right? They came to John confessing their sins, acknowledging the acceptance of his message that the Messiah was here, the Messiah prepare his way, uh, make his path straight, and then they were baptized and all submerged, uh, uh, submerged in the water there of the Jordan River as a testimony, testimony to their proclamation and acceptance of that message of John the Baptist. Now, verse 6 tells us that John basically was the original Grizzly Adams, all right? If you look at that, you'll see that he was clothed with camel's hair, a girdle about his skin, loin uh, of skin about his loins, 
and he ate locusts and wild honey. You know, that's pretty much Grizzly Adams, right? Everything John went about, everything moving about, everything proclaiming the gospel, everything and 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 uh, uh, following that which the Lord had told him to do. Now, notice that his message, he preached, verse 7, saying, There comes one uh, mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. You know, Jesus made a statement about the John the Baptist said that there wasn't a man born of woman that was greater than John. I mean, John was top shelf. John was A1. But John understood his place and everything. There's one coming that, you know what, I'm not even worthy to get down and unlash his shoes and such. And, folks, this is what he's putting all the emphasis on Christ. John was not drawing emphasis to himself. He's putting it on Christ. And that's who you and I are as believers today. It's not about us. It's not about what we like, how we like to do and everything. We are here for the sole reason of being light and salt and everything to a world in desperate need. It's about him. It's about presenting him. It's great to invite people to church, but we've got to preach Jesus. It's great to invite him to an activity, but we've got to preach Jesus. It's great to get a conversation going with folks, but we've got to preach Jesus, you see, because that's what they need, amen? They can join this church and die and go to hell. They can come to an activity and die and go to hell. Everything They can get a conversation with us and meet with coffee, you know, and all that good stuff and die and go to hell. But, man, when it comes to putting Jesus first, bringing Jesus into their life, that is where salvation's at. And that is the need of man today is Jesus Christ. In verse 8, John said, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. John was just basically saying, you know what, I'm covering you with water. But when he comes, he's going to cover you with the Holy Spirit. And that was in reference to Pentecost. Because when Pentecost came, what that? That was the Holy Spirit of God that came down, covered, indwelt each and every believer. And you know what? That's exactly what happens today. Whoever accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Spirit of God comes down, takes up residence. Our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And man, we are empowered to carry out that commission that God has given us to be a testimony and to be a witness for Jesus Christ. So John's ministry was simply not about John. It was about pointing the way who would come after John. Now let's pick it up in verse 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descended upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. A couple things I want to point out here. First of all, Jesus was not getting baptized because he had accepted himself, okay? That wasn't it. Everything. Jesus was getting baptized as an example to you and I, how we come to faith and such and everything, then follow by a public declaration of baptism because that's exactly what happens okay you are communicating to those out here whether it's in a church in a river in a creek matter of fact let me ask you how many of y'all were baptized in a river okay how many of you were baptized in a creek okay now here's one how many of you baptized in a swimming pool okay amen you know that's how we used to do over in the valley man for about eight years or so like that we go swimming pool Everything. We'd have our baptism service there. You know, it was wonderful. It was great getting around there 
everything. The main thing is it's not about where, it's about how, okay? And so Scripture's teaching here Christ and all was baptizing him, not because he needed to be, but because he was placing an example before us and everything to, uh, to follow. And then notice, straightway coming up out of the water, the word baptism is the word baptizo, which means to submerge or plunge beneath. That's baptism, folks, okay? You can splash water on somebody. You can hose them down, whatever you want to, but it's going under because it's a picture of a burial, right? Picture of a burial, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, okay? So, but here's the neat thing. Look at this. He saw the heavens open, the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him, and there came a voice from heaven, that was the Father, said, this is my beloved Son. You know what you had there? You had the Trinity, didn't you? You had the Trinity, the Spirit of God descending upon him. The voice of the Father, and what this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Son was there. And here's a neat thing, folks. Here's a neat thing. Up to that point, when the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, up to that point, Christ hadn't done a single thing. Hadn't done nothing. He's just now coming on the scene. But yet the Father's pleased. Why? Because it's showing that positionally, we are pleasing to God. Positionally, we have been accepted in the blood. Now, do we do things that God is not fond of? Sure we do. Sure we do. But from a positional standpoint, our relation as children of God by virtue of the new birth, we are accepted in the blood and pleasing unto Him. Because when the Father looks at us, who does He see? He sees His Son, doesn't He? He sees his son in whom he is well pleased. Okay? We need to grab, because listen, all of us, all of us at some point in our life and everything, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because we'd all convict one another and everything, but let me ask you something. Are there, is there something in your life you wish you could go back and turn around? I, I said don't say nothing because we're going to convict everybody, you know, on this and everything. So, so now we know, you know, just a bunch of sinners, amen, saved by grace. <laughs> That's who we are, amen. You know, so you know, things that you wish you could do, or maybe something you said. Are there words out there you wish, oh, I wish I could take them back. I wish I hadn't said those. We've all got those, you see. And, yes, there are things that God is not pleased with about what we do, but he's pleased with us because of Jesus. And we are accepted in the blood and everything. And you know what? Your past, it's all under the blood. Amen? You know, just like they sang this morning, it's all in the blood. And there's not a thing you can do about it anyway. Okay? All you do is you got today. You live today for him. If he gives you tomorrow, praise God for that. And live for him tomorrow. Let's move on. Now, verse 13 tells us about Jesus. He was there in the wilderness, 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Now, like I said, Mark isn't about getting into a lot of history, all right? You, if you want to find out what happened there during the temptation, you go back to the Gospel of Matthew, all right? But Mark is presenting Jesus as on the move. He's presenting Jesus as, as a worker, as a servant, okay, in his life as one of service. But let me take just a moment here, and, all, and, and this bounces off of an article I just read this last weekend, um, Israel My Glory magazine. And, and the article was uh, basically um, not, not promoting this and all, but giving answer to it, is that 
the common, uh, common knowledge or the common acceptance here is that, well, let me see, God created Satan. Satan is the author of evil and sin, so God must be okay with evil and sin. That was how, that, how people think of that, and the article was correcting that, obviously. For, so first of all, let's understand, God did not create Satan. He did create a being by the name of Lucifer, okay? The morning light, the son of the morning, who was the most beautiful of all God's creation. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us he most likely was over the throne of God and led the worship of God, called the host of heaven to worship the one who sat on the throne. But then the Bible tells us that pride was found in his heart, wasn't it? Pride was found in his heart. And so Lucifer, who was son of the morning, now became Satan, the adversary, which is that what it means, okay? And so now, so God did not create Satan and everything. Lucifer became Satan by choice and all because he chose to serve himself above God and said, you know what, I can do this God thing. I like this worship stuff. I just think I'll have people worship me, and we know how that all ended, okay? that he was cast down. So I think some things we need to understand here and all that, uh, that Satan, he was a created being and everything. Uh, uh, as far as the past goes, presently he is the adversary. The Bible says that he is our adversary, adversary of the believer, and that he walks upon the face of the earth seeking whom he may devour. So here's what it gets down to, real simple, folks. Every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ have this big bullseye on our chest. Okay? And Satan's firing those fiery darts. Firing those fiery darts. Matter of fact, Paul tells us what he do. He says, take on the whole armor of God. And part of that is why. So we can, you know, reject. Okay? We can repel those fiery darts. And then when we look at Jesus and that temptation, if you remember, how did Jesus overcome that temptation? Come on, folks. How did he do it? Quote a scripture. Exactly. He quoted Scripture. With every temptation, he quoted Scripture. Well, when you look at the armor of God, every bit of that armor is defensive except one implement. And that's the sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the what? Word of God. Folks, if we're going to have victory over Satan's sin, because listen, please, don't sit back and say, oh, listen, I don't have to worry about Satan. He doesn't. If you don't have to worry about Satan, then you know what? You may check whether you're a child of God or not. Because it's the child of God that Satan's after. It's the child of God Satan's trying to ruin. It's the child of God that Satan is trying to destroy the testimony of and to make your life miserable, you see. And the only way you are going to overcome that is through the Word of God, you see. Using the sword of the Spirit to repel him. And that's why it's so important that we know. That's, what, that's how Jesus, that's how Jesus sent Satan scurrying back and away from him. So his past, he was a created being, present. He is the adversary in his future, Revelation chapter 20. It's not a pleasing thing. Not a pleasing thing. There's some greats about Satan I want to share for just a moment. He is the great deceiver. We understand that. He is the great divider. He is the great destroyer. But one day, Revelation chapter 20, he will, he will witness a great destruction. Because the Bible tells us that he will be cast in the lake of fire for all eternity, you see. And I don't know why people today would want to follow a loser, amen? But listen, please, as we look at You know, if Satan, I want you to think about this. If Satan is bold enough to tempt the very Son of God, what makes you think that he wouldn't fool with you? 
I'll tell you one thing. You better keep your eyes open when you sit back and say, I don't have to. Boom. That's when it hits. That's when it hits. He walks about daily as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now let's move on to verse 14. Now after that, John was put into prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. He is the king. The kingdom of God is at hand was the message. We see that in verse 15. The time is fulfilled. What time are we talking about the prophecy that Messiah would be here? Go back in the old covenant. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of the Messiah who would come. You see, And now that time is fulfilled because Messiah has come. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe the gospel. I want you to notice something. Did you notice in that verse, no mention of baptism? What's the, what's the message of that verse? Salvation. Salvation. Are we to be baptized after salvation? Absolutely. First act of obedience. Okay? But notice what the message is. Repent and believe the gospel. The good news about the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In this particular uh, 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 scripture, about the kingdom of God and that the king is here, oh, to repent because the king is indeed arrived. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come after me, and I will make you to become good church members and people around the church. Now, what he said is, fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you disciple makers. It's not only about preaching the gospel. That's the message. That's what gets to the heart. But now, we make disciples so that they can go proclaim the gospel. Witness God. This is a domino thing. And folks, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Every one of us are here today because of that domino effect that started 2,000 years ago. They made disciples, and those disciples made disciples, and those disciples made disciples right on through the last 2,000 years, and guess what? Here we are, disciples, okay? And guess what our job is? Make disciples. Make disciples, you see. That is our position. That's our calling. That is our purpose. And straightway they forsook their nets, and they followed him. And when he had gone a little farther thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. A couple things I want to point out there I want you to notice. When Jesus approached these individuals and said, Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, what was the duration before they came and followed him? There was no time frame there was it they dropped their nets and said let's go let's go I'm sure as Jewish men they knew of the coming of Messiah they listened most likely to the message of John the Baptist when Jesus came on the scene they said, here's the guy let's go they were willing to drop their nets you see but also I want you to understand and, and we don't know we can only assume of the 12 disciples the only one that the Bible says was married was Peter. And how do we know that? Well, we read of Peter's mother-in-law. The last time I checked and everything to have a mother-in-law, you have to be married. 
Okay? So Peter was the only one who does. That doesn't mean that the others weren't or, or whatever. The Bible just does not say. So what God is calling these guys to do is, look, drop your professions out, come after me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, was he telling them to abandon their families? Is he telling them to uh, uh, dismiss the responsibility of their families? No, not at all. He was just saying that in everything, I'm to be priority. I'm to be priority. I'm to be priority in your family. I'm to be priority in your finances. I'm to be priority in your relationships. I'm to be priority. How do we know that? Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That word first literally means first in priority. First in priority. He's to be first in all things. Man, preacher, that's tough. How am I supposed to put him first? How can we not put him first what he did for us? How do we not put him first in what he did for us, you see? And so these fellows came alongside and all formed that inner circle with Christ. And, all. and you know what they did? They made disciples. And you know what they did after that? They made disciples, you see. And here we are today as a result of these guys being willing drop their nets and put Christ as far priority in all things, you see. And so, beginning in verse 21, we're going to start seeing Jesus at work. I hope that you'll be back next week and we'll go, we're going to walk through just like we did on this, but um, I want us to understand, I want us to understand you know, we're seeing Christ on the move. Christ on the move. He's going. He's going where the people are. He's building relationships and all. He's proclaiming what is needed. What is needed. And that is faith and trust in Him. Folks, that's the world we live in today, isn't it? That's the world we live in today. People are looking for hope. People are looking for some sense of peace. People are looking for some sense of purpose in their life. Let me tell you, they'll find it in Jesus. How are they going to hear about Jesus? You and me. You and me. Heads bowed and eyes closed, please.